Hello everyone, this is Attila Tote and welcome to the Cogniverse show, where I interview top marketing managers, CMOs and world-class marketers to find out how they tackle the complex challenges of marketing, how they find the road of success and what are the tips and tricks they use to achieve outstanding results. In this episode, we have Mihaela Murashan, a marketing and branding guru with over 18 years of experience in the field. She is a passionate brand developer, advocate of continuous learning and mother of two, was former marketing coordinator at LG Electronics, marketing manager at IKEA Romania and deputy marketing manager at IKEA Southeast Europe. Founder of Brandescent, a company that helps to find your brand's unique edges and to create or sharpen your brand identity. She's one of the most experienced marketers in Europe with heavy experience in the corporate world. She was the mind behind IKEA's steps into online sales in Romania and drove the brand development of IKEA for over 10 years. A brilliant strategist with hands-on experience. You can find Mihaela on her website at brandessence.ro, on Facebook and LinkedIn. I put her links in the show notes. Without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Mihaela Murashan. Hello, Mihaela. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Otila. Nice to hear from you. It's also a pleasure for me to have this conversation. Thank you for inviting me. You're very welcome. We first met last year at the marketing conference and the brief discussion we had already proved me that you have quite an experience in the field of enterprise marketing. I would like to grab some valuable information to our listeners who are keen to learn more on the backgrounds of marketing and digital advertisement. So let's start from here. Um, As an experienced brand architect and marketing strategist, How would you describe yourself and your marketing activity regarding the last 20 years? Wow. (laughs) Uh, How much time do you have? Just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I think, uh, you know, many people have these kind of mottos or, you know, quotes that, uh, you know, they choose to describe themselves in a very short manner. Uh, I have to say that I looked for that motto for years and still couldn't find it. I don't know what that means, by the way. <laughs> I'm joking again. Um, well, in, a, in a, just a few words, long story short, I would say that uh, actually I am a person that loves marketing. Uh, thing is that I didn't know that from the beginning. Um, actually, I was just uh, yesterday uh, telling a story to some um, persons that I um, I had the training with, and I was telling them that uh, uh, basically I graduated, you know, this University of Finance and Banking and very serious stuff, and I didn't know at that moment that this is not something that I will do or I want to do. Uh, but I would say that I uh, I am lucky. I've been lucky uh, because actually I discovered pretty early in my um, career that I don't want to follow you know the, the the first educational background, but I I would like to do something else, and that was marketing. Uh, so from this perspective, I also think that most of us have a, you know have a call. 
have a vocation, have something that they are the best of. Uh, an area which, you know, that fits them and the area where they can really perform. Um, and it's extremely important to discover each of us, you know, what's that area. And for me, now I know that is marketing and branding because they are not separately separated uh, despite some, uh, you know, discussions and uh, this kind of business talks uh, where people say that, yeah, business uh, is one thing, branding is one thing, marketing is one thing. Of course, um, yeah, they are different like um, areas of uh, expertise, but in the end, they are so much interlinked. So that's very, very short story about me. Um, what I think also it's important to say is that when I was extremely young and I started to work uh, in my first job in marketing, um, I didn't value that much that job in the beginning. I was also one of the people, the persons that had a perception that marketing is something, you know, easy, light, fluffy, and you don't, don't really need to be too smart to do that. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was actually my first job in marketing. So when I uh, applied for that job, my, my mindset was that, um, well, I will do that for a couple of months. This is temporarily, and then I will come back, you know, to my core uh, um, um, expertise, which was finance and all those uh, serious stuff. But actually, I discovered, as I said quickly, that it's not fluffy, it's not light, it's not easy, and it's not for everybody. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, and then I decided to continue. That was my first job. It was in uh, LG Electronics. Uh, around uh, I don't know 19 years ago um, and it was yeah pretty classic you know marketing job uh, but still it was difficult so um, yeah understood so basically it was a journey where you learned marketing on the go as you were getting deeper and deeper into it am I correct yeah, yeah. Actually, that was the first part of my marketing career around like, um, I don't know, five to seven years, something like that. Uh, when I really learned marketing by doing. Um, there were some, you know, very small trainings. I also um, um, followed some uh, other courses in another university for public relations and communication. But it was not enough. So from my perspective, everything I did in my first years of, uh, of marketing uh, work was a lot of learning by doing and, you know, just uh, try and uh, see what it works and asking people, but not, you know, solid theoretical or, you know, this kind of um, educational marketing background. Yeah. And from this perspective, indeed, my first um strong marketing school was uh, was ikea um because then we uh, we had a lot of trainings extremely structured um the the information the, the way the information was presented was completely different than anything i i i've seen before or i've learned before and indeed that helped a lot i think actually that was uh, also one uh, one um, um aspect that encouraged me now, you know, later on, 
to to do myself trainings for other people because I realize how important it is that you get the information in a structured way that you know you do this kind of theory and then practice you learn a concept and, and then you exercise it you learn a little bit more and you exercise again it's extremely important you know to, to follow this uh, this structure path for me it was very useful and uh, I'm also recommending uh, this uh, type of learning to to the people that want to develop themselves not just you know searching uh, on the internet that's okay as well you know to see uh, different uh, to, to read books to read articles or to see youtube movies um, it's important to have a structure to have a path what we you know it's called in hr this kind of development path because you can't learn everything at once and you also need to practice Marketing is not only about theory, it's actually the theory that was written after the, you know, the practice. So maybe that's the only area they started for, first with doing and then uh, with uh, conceptualizing. True. It's always changing. So I think you touched on a good point here that marketers who want to learn more and want to achieve more and be more successful in their activity they need to understand that this is something you must do. You need to put it in practice and you have to be brave and bold to get your ideas out to the market. Otherwise, you won't get the necessary experience. So basically, what I tested that theory is very far from what's happening actually in marketing, be it digital or be it traditional. Theory was created some time ago. Of course, you can read articles and, as you said, you can find some relevant information on the Internet. However, if you want to be successful, you have to be brave enough to fail and to learn from those failures. I think that's a very good point you touched. Yeah, and actually, if, if you allow me, I would, I would uh, like to develop a bit on, on this because uh, I also believe a lot in, in courage in marketing but not just courage you know for the sake of it it's not about creativity for the sake of it because that from my perception is another mistake in a way it's extremely important to have a point of view and follow your point of view in branding especially is a lot about that branding is you know having a personality being unique a creating, a, creating a, you know, this kind of um, memorable identity. But it's also, or before this, it's about having a true point of view. It's something that you believe in, and that takes courage. And that's why, and, and thank you for bringing this, I always uh, encourage the, the persons and, you know, everybody I work with um, to not copy that much what others are doing. Because, you know, Everybody is so much into what competition is doing. And now maybe we, we can go a little bit into the, the real, real reality. <laughs> we are doing that because others are doing that. Well, but nobody did that before. So these are things that I'm, I'm hearing like every day. And it's, it's not about having the courage to just be different for the sake of it. It's about having the courage to formulate your point of view. And who are you as a business, as a brand, what you are giving to the market, to the world, you know, and be brave enough and tell that. Follow your own story and your own path. 
and that definitely can be completely different that, uh, than what other are doing, others are doing, and uh, in the end, that will actually pay off much more than just you know follow this. These are the rules in the market, and we are doing like like that, and we are just saying staying on the on the safe side, and we're good. Well, staying on the safe side is not safe in marketing. <laughs> Indeed, I think this is a very strong position. You can learn from Mihaela that whenever you want to be different, it's not about just for the sake of it, but you need to be different in order to grow. And this growth mindset is many times confused with following the competition. I experienced the same as you said, specifically in the Balkanic area and specifically in Asia. So East Europe and Asia has this marketing thinking of copying what others do and do it likewise maybe slightly different, but surely likewise. And definitely that will not bring the results everybody's dreaming of. So if you do the same thing that the competition is doing, why are you expecting different results? In order to be different, you have to be different in thinking and different in acting. This brings up the next question on my mind. Did you encounter any difficulties when you were at IKEA on being different? Or did the leaderboard have an open mindset? Did you have free hand to do anything you'd like? Or how was that experience? Well, I have to say that maybe I was lucky <laughs> because IKEA is a, as a company and, and also as a, as a culture um, encourages a lot of this, um, you know, um, uh, um, is not freedom of work, but it's freedom of uh, of thinking, because there are frames. You know, it's still a corporation. There are rules. There are procedures. Processes are you know pretty uh, well uh, in place. But in marketing, um, and maybe that's also important because a lot of people ask me, how did you do marketing? You know, like advertising in IKEA. Did you have uh, something you know that the global sent you, and then you just uh, translated or something like that? And this is where I am extremely proud because at least here in Romania, but as far as I know, in other countries as well, we did everything locally. So it was not that we, we got, uh, you know, a piece of communication from global and we adapted. Um, IKEA used to be at least, I don't know much. I mean, it's not fair to say it's like that now because I left it three years ago. But when I worked there, it was extremely important to localize everything. IKEA was somehow conscious about the differences between markets, you know, taking Western Europe and Asia or, you know, exactly what you say, or North America. The markets were pretty different. And then the responsibility of the marketing person was to localize the communication for that specific market. And it was a, a lot of criteria to take into consideration. The market maturity, you know, the, the brand maturity, how much uh, was the brand uh, known on the market or uh, what is the stage of the reputation? What are the, you know, the strong points, the weak points? There were a lot of um, figures behind that. We were measuring like, actually everything. And uh, according to the local situation, we were not only, uh, how to say, allowed, but also um, required yeah, to, to localize the communication and the whole marketing activity, um, which actually meant in reality that, for example, for us, 
each campaign and at some point we had one campaign at uh, every six weeks, so uh, a very high frequency of communication. Uh, we we had to do every time a new full new brand campaign. So we started from zero, you know, the full brief messages, insights, everything, every time. And that gives you also the, the quality of it, you know, because you, you just don't go into that machine of adapting, translating, coping again, you know, what you did last year or these kind of things. We had to think and create every time something new, but relevant for the market. And that was not easy, but I think it also paid off not only in, uh, you know, building the brand, but also it paid off. And I have to say that for me and for my team, because we learned a lot. In the end, we were also saying at some point that we are a marketing factory, you know, like <laughs> we can, uh, we, we got to the speed of producing high quality materials in extremely efficient way. So you learn how to do that. It, it's not like that from the beginning. So, and in terms of um, uh, creativity also, we, uh, we were, as I said, we, we, we had a big area of, um, of freedom. Um, but it was also important for us, and uh, I still remember how we used to work with the agencies and challenge them, because, uh, you know, at some point all the creative guys come with some different, uh, out-of-the-box ideas that they think they are great, but we had also the brand frame. And the brand brand frame, like you know, it was not the brand book, but the brand frame, meaning what our our values, our uh, brand messages, uh, who we are and who we are not, and all the, all these kind of things. And having this frame actually helped all of us, including the agencies, to steer their creativity. As I said before, not for the sake of it, but for the sake of the marketing activity that we were pursuing. And that's also extremely important because I've seen for many companies, and I don't want to say names, um, creativity sometimes bursting out, you know. But the risk when you do that and you you get out from the, the brand frames is that you say something, you are memorable. It's what we call in, uh, in uh, communication, you produce enjoyment but you might lose the opportunity to link that creat creativity with your brand, with your point of view, and you might also lose the opportunity to create real engagement for your brand. It can be, you know, like this kind of short-term enjoyment. Wow, so nice, so pleasant, so exciting, but then you forget the ad. You know, what was the ad for? What was the brand? You recognize this kind of pattern. Yeah. I think a marketing mistake that many, many people do that they create something unique, but then don't connect it to the brand and people remember the commercial or remember the advertisement. Yeah, pleasant and exciting. Yeah. But they don't connect it and they don't have any reaction like for the brand. They don't uh, change any behavior, you know, towards the brand. So then, well, yeah. It's a good point and you said so many valuable ideas. I want to grab one out and dive a bit deeper on it. You highlighted the importance of localization. I think there's also a gap in thinking when marketing teams think about localization. 
because usually it's not as in your story, but it's more like somebody from the head of the company, from the headquarter, is sending the directions, and then people need to translate and publish the material. And that's it mainly. And that's what I see, for example, very much happening in the automotive industry. So there's a big brand and you can see that the same kind of advertising and the same wording is appearing in Germany, Hungary, in Spain, in the US. And there are only little adaptations and they are lacking out the personalization part. So how did you realize the importance of localization? Was something instinctual or did you do any research on it? What was the background of it? Uh, we used to do a lot of research. So, um, you know, having the figures for the brand and it, what was also interesting in Ikea that, um, as I said, we, we were able to localize, but in the same time we had access to everything from the other countries. So that I think was extremely precious because I could see also what other countries were doing in terms of communications, but also I could see what are their scores, you know, in marketing and brand performance. So I could connect their, their kind of uh, communication or advertising with um, um, market locals, local market specific and with those scores. And, and that was extremely useful. So basically, you, it's like learn by doing, but you need to observe and you need, you need to also to work with data. And I think that was extremely important in IKEA because we had plenty of data and the brand itself was measured in in very uh, deep way. So um, I will just give you an example. Maybe it's easier like that. Um, basically, when you open a new market, you have to do some uh, for IKEA, for example. Yeah, you, you need to do some um, specific way of communication. You need to introduce the range, for example, and you need to, to explain the IKEA concept. Why is that? Because it's a new market and you know people don't know much about that. People don't know the brand, people don't know the range, and they don't know how to buy, you know, the products. So then you you need, and it's not that the manual is saying, but you, you, you should also understand that by being local, that you need to do that first. So for the first couple of years, it's not months, it's years, so that's another thing. You just keep explaining that, keep explaining the range, keep explaining how to shop, keep, keep explaining the IKEA concept then you might move in a different stage a different stage which means that people already got more familiar with the brand and with the range and they maybe expect more from you they don't want you to explain again how to show because they know that already they've been to the store they've, uh, they've uh, got familiar to, to the brand to the product and then you need maybe to to get into another area which is offering them more solutions and more inspiration then talking about local what kind of solutions do you offer them now being in romania we have a specific of having small uh, apartments or small houses small homes you know not that smaller than uh, than in J J not that small like in japan but still smaller than in america for example okay so then solutions you show are not definitely huge, are like, you know, medium to small size. And you need to think about that. You need to create those solutions, which most probably are extremely different than the solutions you present in UK or in uh, Canada.
Yeah, wow. with the same brand, with the same range of products, because you can have an extremely small kitchen for Bucharest and you can have a huge kitchen for, uh, I don't know, uh, US. And it's still IKEA, it's still the same brand and still the same product range. Only the way you show it, it's localized because you need to think to the local consumers. What do they need? Yeah, what are they, uh, their preferences in terms of styles? It's a lot. So you need to combine all those data, all those information, and being local helps a lot. I'm not saying that, uh, you know, having a marketing manager from a different country can't work. I, I don't say that. But maybe it takes a little bit more time for learn, you know, like what what is the, the local specific. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I hope I... I, I, I I answered your question uh, and I, I can't say it's a moment when I realized the, the importance of localization. It's just if you want to be relevant, you need to think to the local uh, consumers. Then uh, you, you, you gave this example with the cars, with the automotive industry. Uh, I can't say it may be that sometimes it, it works, you know, maybe it's, it's a different uh, area than uh, home furnishings and it can be that you can present one, you know, this kind of generic model to more than one market because that model is relevant for all. But you need to be sure, you know, you know, you need to be sure that you don't present, I don't know, a huge model to a country which has extremely small streets or something like that. I'm just, you know, dramatizing a little bit, but you just need to check. Sometimes it can, it can be that you can have a piece of communication that works for uh, more than one market. But I think the responsibility of the marketing department is to to make sure that that works for their market. Certainly. And that's what I wanted to get as information for the listeners, because what's an important takeaway that marketing communication cannot be generalized. So you cannot communicate the same way for market X or market Y. You have to always localize it and find the sweet spots for the audiences that makes them interested about your brand and makes them connected to your brand. So thanks for the details. Yeah, I, I can talk uh, until tomorrow about that. There are so <laughs> many examples. <laughs> I believe you. With your experience, you probably have an example for each and every use case in marketing. So yes, we touched on the localization. And I think it's a very interesting topic and marketers specifically who are responsible for multiple market activities need to look into it deeply and need to understand that each audience can have a different behavior and can have different needs. And although you're still one brand, you should tackle these needs and connect with your audiences in a localized and personalized way. Yeah. So as a next topic, could you tell us about the biggest success in your marketing, launching maybe a new brand or just putting together a new campaign? What was the success you are most proud of? Hmm. Well, I, there, there were many, you know, nice campaigns with uh, good success. Um, uh, th there was also, you know, uh, actually launching IKEA brand as such in uh, two new markets, um, you know, together with my team. We launched it basically in Romania, but also in Croatia. But I think the, the dearest project to me, 
you know, usually these kind of uh, things have also an emotional and personal touch. Um, was not necessarily launching the new country, the, the brand in the new country, but when we launched the, um, the IKEA e-commerce um, online shop yeah, here in Romania. Um, and that was extremely special to me because it was not the classic, you know, marketing way of doing things. Uh, we had a, an extremely limited marketing budget, so basically it was a marketing launch without budget. <laughs> so that was yes. <laughs> so that was uh, based a lot on the the operational, um, you know. Um, efficiency, so the product itself, the, the whole logistic and operational uh, product that um, yeah, based the, the online shop and also it was based on the already existed power of the brand. So basically when we launched the e-commerce, uh, IKEA brand in Romania was pretty solid and no matter that we didn't allocate a promotion, yeah, like advertising, marketing, classic budget uh, for this kind of, uh, for this channel for one year. So for one year was uh, zero uh, marketing budget, let's say zero base. Um, the growth was uh, significant. So it really grew like, uh, you know, magic. And uh, for me, it was the only special, extremely special time in my life, at least until now, when I was in the middle of organic growth. Mm -hmm. So you see, I'm not talking, uh, I'm not telling you about uh, extremely creative ideas. I'm not telling about that. For me, what was the magic of it was to see how, you know, the baby is born and it grows without, you know, helping like without a marketing budget, without uh, vitamins or <laughs> supplements or anything, just organically and extremely healthy. And that was because of the power of the brand. In the market, there was already a huge demand for IKEA. And when we launched it, we didn't, not, we didn't need to promote it. You mm -hmm. know, it just grew like that. Maybe you were also here when, <laughs> when that happened in 2014. Yeah. And uh, for me, that was the kind of success that I, uh, I uh, uh, really value, uh, you know, just to see that when you when you plant the seeds in the right way, when you when you build a brand and it grows, then whatever you do good in continuation of that, it will also grow nice. So, um, yeah, that that was for me one of the really special uh, achievements that I was part of. <laughs> Interesting story. I mean, uh, I was not expecting to hear an organic uh, success story, <laughs> but uh, uh, the But better... then, you know, there are all kinds of marketing campaigns with creative ideas and yeah, well, that it's, it's nice, but it's not that special, you know, because this is the kind of project that actually nurtures the whole, you know, big long-term journey that, uh, you know, a brand can uh, can go through. Yeah. So it's, it's different. Yeah. It's very interesting. And thank you for bringing this up. Many times people expect organic growth, but the problem is that they don't have the brand power what you built up beforehand. 
So I think what's important to understand here is that this organic success comes after years and years of heavy activity in developing your brand. And it's not something that happens from a day to the other or a month to the other. It usually takes years. By the end of the day, you can reach to a point where you have the brand power that has that organic impact. Exactly. Yeah, actually, of course, there was a cost, only that the cost was in the beginning in building the brand. So it was not like, uh, you know, for free. <laughs> it was for free for that year, but it was also based on the, I wouldn't say cost, actually, neither expense, I would say investment. Exactly. It was just based on the whole brand investment done up to that moment, exactly what you said. So nothing comes that easy, actually. <laughs> yes, surely. Because many people think that marketing is a little black box. You invest in it a million euros and you take out five and that's marketing. But in real life, it's nothing like that. It's a journey. And in the journey, there are ups and downs. And the example you just told is a really strong proof that investing in your brand will have a strong impact if you reach a certain level. What I see that many marketers are getting frustrated very soon and stop investing the necessary energy, time and money in their brands because they think it's not bringing results. And of course, branding is not about short term. So on short term, you cannot reach amazing results. You can definitely have some creative ideas and have successful campaigns. But what you just said it's a really clear example that if you invest heavily year by year and you put the right people on it, you create the right content and the right mindset to develop your brand to a point where one day you will have that free year of results without any investment. I think you've said something extremely interesting. Uh, you said something about m many marketeers that, um, uh, that stop quickly or that they don't uh, that they don't continue the journey or yeah something like that um, and I was just thinking while you were talking that I think one of the um, most important traits let's say for a strong marketing person is not necessarily to be an expert in that field you know in digital or in media or in creativity content or anything like that it's actually extremely important to have the, um, how should I say, the patience, but also the, um, the power in sense of persistence to convince the rest of the, the company, like the management team, or sometimes the, the, the CEO, the general manager, the entrepreneur, the whoever takes the, you know, the big decisions in that company, that they have to go through a long-term journey. And that's not easy because that actually requires strength, strength from that person, you know, to not give up, to not give up after one campaign. Okay, you have three weeks of campaign, you put that budget, no results like in terms of sales, because usually this is how we measure it. It's exactly. much more than that. And I would say that the most successful marketing people, if I, you know, sorry, may say that. <laughs> sure. It's not about being a specialist or an, an expert in a, in a field, but of course to surround themselves with the, the, that kind of team. 
but to have the power and the strength to to really convince the organization let's say that this is a journey that that takes some effort and some time and to to bring the organization with them on the journey and that's definitely i would say that's the most difficult thing in marketing <laughs> so absolutely so be creative and have nice ideas believe me is not that difficult <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. And Romanians are extremely creative and we know that. <laughs> yeah. Yes, undeniably. Many times the challenge is to keep on going and to not to stop, even if you don't see the results. And I think the critical point is to know when you are going in the right direction, but the results are not visible yet and you still need to go. Because many people think that, okay, there are no results, we should stop immediately. But, but you, you're so right, you just said it, Otilo, you said that actually the results are not visible. Actually, if you allow me, I would like to go a little bit into the KPIs here, because people like fever, figures, and we all love KPIs, because KPIs and everything we can measure and we make visible, then that gives us, you know, uh, certainty that give us certainty and that gives us a confirmation that we are doing something and we are in the right direction. Thing is, when we say that we don't see results, we are not measuring the right KPIs. We don't see sales, that's one thing. But we might see some other results if we know what and how to measure them. And I'm coming again to the brand building, not because that's my uh, my passion, and the, but it's so important. Brand building, you don't see. And I, I, let me just give you an example, which I also use uh, when I'm uh, I'm having trainings with, with teams, you know, this kind of marketing and branding trainings. Um, it's also about IKEA because that's the case where I have the most, uh, you know, uh, biggest uh, period of time with the uh, KPIs and the uh, historical figures. So uh, when he opened IKEA store in Romania in Bucharest in 2007, the whole brand awareness yeah, that's easy. Everybody knows what brand awareness is. It's how many people heard about IKEA. It was 25% in Bucharest area. 25. Only one quarter yeah, of the Bucharest inhabitants in the year before opening heard about IKEA. Ever. And now it's 100% in Bucharest. Everybody knows about IKEA. And for us now, at this point, it's sometimes extremely difficult to imagine that there was a point, a moment back in time when people didn't know about IKEA. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Because we forget. We are, we, you know, our mind and our, uh, uh, you know, way of uh, behaving is somehow wired for this short term, you know, surviving and all kinds of things. And we forget that there was a point in the past when things were not like that. And that is the journey. And also I'm t telling this to marketing people sometimes. And, oh, what do you mean? People didn't know about IKEA? No, they didn't. <laughs> you know, it was, <laughs> you understand what I mean? Yes, so yes. So then it takes a journey. And you need to get also the team, meaning the management team and the CEO and everybody with you as a marketer on that journey. And say, people, it's okay. We don't have results now. People don't know about us. We sell little. But let's take it step by step. And then you can also measure coming back to KPIs, things 
that are not immediately visible like in sales. Actually, it's a result of some other steps, you know, in conversion funnel, let's say. Exactly. Yeah, you know, we, we don't do the whole customer journey funnel now, but we, we could maybe at some point because you need to accumulate some other aspects. You need people to hear about you. Then you need people to know what you are selling. Then you know people to get interest in what you're selling. Then you get people to get closer to you, get in contact, pay a visit, get on website. And then you might sell. So when you say that we have a campaign, but we don't see results because we don't have sales, that's not fully true because you might have some other results. Maybe you, you get through that campaign more people hearing about you, more people getting more interested in what you're selling, and maybe more people getting closer to you, like leads. Yeah, we are talking now in digital uh, uh, era about leads. We're talking a lot about leads. What are leads? Leads are people, and basically they are not figures, they are people, yeah, yeah. getting closer to you. And maybe they didn't buy anything yet, but then the question that you might ask yourself is why they didn't buy anything from you. They get closer to you, you have this many leads, but they didn't buy, or you have this visit to the, to the, this traffic to the, your website, or you have these, I don't know, phone calls to call center, whatever, depending on the business specific is B2C or B2B or. So then you need to put your question, what is their barrier yeah, in their mind to get even closer to you? And based on that answer, you'd take the next steps. If the barrier is about awareness, then you need to continue being visible. If the barrier is about interest or consideration, yeah, how we talk in marketing, then it's not about awareness. They know about you, but they are not interested in, in you. Why are they not interested in you? You need to, to map these barriers and keep going, keep making effort to bring them closer. But you need to analyze a little bit and you need to, to be, again, patient and, per and persistent. <laughs> Good point. I really like the terminology you used here, barriers. You have to understand these and you have to be able to step over these. But let's dive a bit deeper. How would you recommend for a marketer to find out these barriers? So let's say they have a good brand awareness campaign but there is still a barrier that people are not subscribing to the campaign or they are not giving the information in the call to actions. So what would you do to investigate the details of the barriers? Yeah, of course, the, the easiest way, but also the, the most expensive is to have a market research, a market study and see, you know, out of the people that have heard about your brand, how many, you know, got closer and the ones that didn't why so like asking but i would also recommend a different way a different approach here it's something that for me it helped a lot because it's not always that we have time and money for doing market research and um, i think a good marketeer is sometimes you know beyond data <laughs> so data is good it is helping and it's giving confirmation but we can do something else and that's observation or somehow get into your public um, audience and try to sense what's happening there. And I'm, what I'm saying sense is a mix of questioning, asking people, but also with observing. 
it's also important to know what are um, the, how shall I say this in English, the um, solid behaviors that exist in a different category. If people are used to buy, I don't know, shoes in a specific way, like just, just an example, they are used to, to test them or to touch them, then you can't do something completely opposite. You need to understand what are the main behaviors in your category first. Then everything you do, you need to keep that in mind, you know, what are those behaviors. Then if you still follow the, you know, the, 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 the solid behaviors and you don't have any results, you need to, to look what's happening there. Maybe what you are telling, what we are giving is complicated. It's a lot about time nowadays. If you are, are giving a good solution, a good uh, I don't know, product or a good service, but the way to approach that thing is complicated, it takes time, it takes effort, it's hassle, it means hassle for the consumer, for your potential customer, that might be a barrier. So you need to think always time, convenience, easy, hassle-free. Yeah, if you have 10 clicks and you ask them to fill a form, sorry, people might not want to fill a form. And I don't want to, you know, to destroy the some uh, the digital, uh, you know, uh, tools, but you need to think about the person in, in the other side. Yeah, not about your digital tool or platform or everything like that, but just think about the consumer. And then you need to be very clear about what your, the value that you offer. Why? that person would buy from you and not from somebody else. If you have a clear answer to, your, to that question, then you might identify the barrier. Okay? So yeah. you need to put yourself into the customer's shoes to make this exercise of observation step by step and be honest. Be honest until the end because, and I'm not saying that, you know, just because it's a impressive word and uh, because nowadays everybody's talking about transparency and ethics and things like that. No, being honest sometimes is difficult um, because we are so subjective as a human, you know, persons. We are so much in our own um, box, let's say. It's a lot about how we perceive the world that sometimes it takes huge effort to imagine that some other person would do things differently because we are not our cu customers. We are, you know, very subjective. So ju then just making this effort of putting ourselves really obje objectively in our customer, potential customer's shoes, it might give us the, uh, the answers from, uh, for, for the barriers. Mm -hmm. Of course, yeah. if we have money, we can have a market survey and definitely that will help. But most of us don't have huge budget, so that is. <laughs> yes, thanks for sharing this strategy. It's a very good one. Just one touch, I would like to add that be it marketers or be it sales representatives, they think they know their customers because they have a projection on them, but actually don't take their shoes, as you explained, and be honest with themselves and ask, okay, what are the points where we are not serving our customers well enough? For example, do we need our customers to make 10 clicks just to get to a subscription form? So basically this Honesty also means facing the issues you have in your internal procedures, in your internal pr 
products, maybe in your communication and be brave enough to say, okay, this doesn't make sense. How can we make it easier? Because many times I see that these projections about the customers create an ideal path to the sales, but then reality says something different. In reality, people are not getting engaged or being lost in too many clicks and thus not filling the subscription forms. So I think this honesty and transparency is also about facing the issues and problems you have internally as a brand and be open-minded to talk about them and to be open-minded to find new ways of doing it in a better way. Yeah, and actually that's why marketing is ex- uh, is basically a, a strategic function because marketing is not only about communication. Communication is the last part of the you know marketing journey, but marketing as such starts you know in a strategy manner, starts with really understanding the business, the value we are offering. And we need to check before communicating anything that those things are happening in, you know, in reality. Exactly what you said. We need to check the operational part. We need to check the products, the prices. We need to check that what we promise is is valid. Because otherwise, we sometimes in communication make promises that they are not kept in reality, and that have, you know, the the worst effect. Uh, that we we might expect and we just need to check and it's also marketing responsibility as i said in the beginning to have the responsibility and sometimes yes the courage the gut to say guys i will not communicate that because i know it's not fully true you need to solve your, this operational part you need to solve the i don't know the, the stocks problems the logistics the, the delivery problem and then we can communicate because if we promise something that we can't offer then this will come back against us and it will take even longer time to repair that issue. So, and it's not easy. <laughs> it's, uh... And it's not cheap. Yeah, it's a very good point because many brands overpromise and underdeliver, and it should be vice versa. So that's under promise and over deliver. But this also comes from a pressure in terms of competition because when you have your own brand and you want to position it and you look in the landscape of competitors you see that everybody is promising so much and there is this pressure from outside however here again the braveness the honesty uh to me maybe a bit not so over promising and to be more honest on what you can deliver is more important But again, this takes courage when you see that on the other side of the fence, people are promising everything to get the attention of the audience. Yeah, if I may say something here, um, this is actually, uh, how should I say, a point of view, which I, uh, I I'm spreading it very, very often. I hear so much companies and marketeers and salespeople talking about competition. And you've just said it. You've said that, okay, there is a pressure in the company because the competitors are also promising, I don't know, many things. I would say the things will get much better, will get much better 
and the success of the companies and brands will um, significantly improve if there will be a change in the mindset and if that pressure from the competition will disappear but it will be replaced with sort of the pressure from the customers if we'll not think so much about competitors but instead we'll think much more about our customers you know it, it sounds basic but it's not in reality exactly as you said companies are afraid of competitors let's stop do, being afraid of competitors but let's start being afraid of what our com uh, um, customers are uh, saying about us or are perceiving us or you know are considering us if we just change this mindset from the competitors to the customers forget about customers for one forget about competitors for one month one month you just focus on your customer no thought about competitors you understand what it's just shaping or how should i say uh shifting the energy Shifting yeah. the energy, the, the mind energy, because it's a lot in a, in a company that talks so much about competitors, energy is going on that fear, energy of that company, energy of that team. But instead, if we just, you know, cut that thought and think about customers using the same amount of energy, you know, <laughs> we'll be much more successful in the end. Just make this exercise for one month, not more. It's... <laughs> yeah, I know I'm dramatizing it, but it's for the for the good cause, you know. It's, uh... I totally agree. So, whoever are listening to this, uh, take this test for one month. Focus on your customers and forget the competition. That both Mihail and myself uh, are are granting that you will see some amazing things happening. Exactly. Or they will discover something amazing. They they didn't have the you know the patience to discover up to now, <laughs> or the time being focused on competitors. <laughs> Indeed, and on that note, as we are discussing on customers, what do you think? Did we overcome the ancient perception that the customer is always right? What is your personal strategy to say no for a customer that is not on the right track? or is building something and giving feedback that is not appropriate to their brands or for example ikea in your past mm. um i think that the, the principle of customer is always right is still there and is still valid because any you know good business will basically uh, um, grow based on their customers money and it's not about mm -hmm. money, but it's about the connection and the relationship and everything. But still, there are situations when you have to decide that it's not like that you don't want a customer. Maybe that's too much. It's too forced. It's that actually your vision and your point of view is not fitting that customer perspective. And that's okay. But for saying that, no, you need to know what's your point of view and what's your, you know, direction. Um, maybe IKEA is not the right to, to bring into the picture now. But for example, uh, d during my, my work now, you know, in, uh, in brand essence, uh, with uh, th this kind of consultancy in marketing and branding, uh, it's happening to me that uh, people approach me like, you know, again, with very short term expectation, like help me to have uh, 
sales increase or help me doing this campaign or I don't know, somehow short term actions. And I usually say no to this because it's not about the campaign. And actually, they are also surprised when I say I don't know how to do this campaign and I don't know what you can communicate on Google or Facebook because I don't know what's your strategy and I don't know if you have a strategy or you, if you you know have an idea bigger than that you want to sell next week about this and that's a very polite way to say no but it's still a no because I can't do execution until we are not clear of what we want to do to you know to do to do for a longer term and until the the entrepreneur or the company is not clear about their direction if you don't have a business strategy or a business direction, if you don't want what's the value you are offering to the market, if you don't know, you know what's your point of view and what are the, the, the main messages that you want to, to, to transmit, then I can't have an answer about what's the best way for you to have a campaign because that answer doesn't exist and it doesn't come immediately. And yes, there, there are you know companies and people that oh okay they say they they would have a different expectation from me and they uh, yeah expected that I solve the problem immediately because I'm an expert and that's it, no problem. It's still a no. <laughs> so. <laughs> so basically, what you say is that customers are right, but the question is, do they expect the right thing? Because what we see and what brands can experience is that customers are not always expecting the right thing. Here, the critical point is whether you decide to say in a polite way that you are not the right person or you're not the right team to work with, or you start educating them and explaining to them why their question or why their objection is not valid. And there is again a barrier here for us marketers to do something that is not easy to do because educating the market is quite a heavy investment. But many marketers think they can skip this part and think they can magically get just the sales results. So we touched on a very important aspect that strategy is critical and without strategy you're not going anywhere. And if you haven't done a strategic approach to your marketing in the last five months, then you'd better start doing it because otherwise you will not be able to grow and achieve such successes as Mihaela did with the IKEA e-commerce store launch, having after years of investment that magical organic results. To have that true magic, you need a strategy beforehand and you need to execute your strategy. So yeah, certainly customers can be right, but they might not ask the right questions. And or they don't know what to ask. And that's yeah. also, uh, yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, strategy can be a, a two hour discussion in itself, but uh, as a learning and yeah, that's another word you know that <laughs> I think it's abused a really abused way a word strategy yeah. what's yeah. a strategy can mean so many things for different people so yeah May maybe in a in another podcast we can uh, <laughs> <laughs> we can tackle the strategic part as well 
but definitely it's something marketers should have in their mind as top priority because without a strategy you're just doing ad hoc investments and you're not creating something that is lasting and if you have success it's just by coincidence and it can happen one and you're, you're happy and say wow we had such wonderful good result with this campaign but then it that doesn't happen again say hmm well it doesn't it didn't work again like the first time you know i'm hearing this from time to time and they why do you think is that and they don't know because they don't have any direction so that's the point yes surely is a good point i want to steer a bit to the digital part as many of our listeners are keen to learn more about digital marketing but strategy is very closely related to digital i wanted to ask you how do you see the openness and responsiveness of the markets right now in central east europe implementing digital tools following the digital marketing trends what is your experience on this mm-hmm. um well i think we are still in the how shall i say that storming phase <laughs> about digital uh you, you know that the four phases of uh, having a team uh, performing and uh, th- th- those are the norming storming uh, no sorry forming storming norming and performing mm-hmm. so i think from the digital perspective we are in the second phase so it's it, we are formed a little bit we know that there is something digital around us or you know in everything we we do but we are still in the storming phase because we don't know how to do things and when <laughs> i and i say me it's not me like but you know the the, the companies let's say of course except uh, the the few big ones uh, which maybe they have already some processes in place and some ways of working and some tracking uh, um, measurements and so on. Um, I think it's we are in the point that it's pretty obvious for everybody that digital is here and we can't ignore it anymore. There are still few, but I think less and less, that consider, oh, digital is not must-have, it's just, you know, something that we'll do later, my audience is not on digital, I'm selling B2B, and, you know, these kind of things. Yeah, you might sell a B2B, like business-to-business, you might uh, have a selling uh, uh, sales team, yeah, to do that, but still, you need to have a digital presence. Digital presence is not a nice-to-have anymore, it's a must-have. used to be nice to have five years ago, now is must-have. But from that to the to the digital landscape, um, the, the full digital landscape, I think most of the companies started already to approach digital in different ways. Communicating uh, to, to digital through digital channels because yes, the audience is there. Dig- the audience is on website, on online. The audience is on uh, social media. So to, we need to approach them through those channels. But what we still lack, uh, I think, in this uh, this area, um, I think there are two main parts, and one is of one is about measuring. How do we measure our success in digital? Because it's much more than having what I said earlier, leads or reach or traffic to the website. And it's actually a lot about integrating data. 
yeah, putting the systems together. And I'm saying systems is about putting your website with your CRM, with your ERP. Yeah, for example, if you have an uh, e-commerce or e-commerce business or, or shop online, you need to track much more than just a few figures. And that's not easy. It again requires investment and patience and also some expertise to put data together. Yeah, and the other obstacle that I'm seeing, so that's one part, like somehow technical. The other obstacle that I'm seeing is um, the approach to the people working on that. Because many companies are still underestimating the human resource needed for digital. They think that you can have one person doing it all posting, making content, making, uh, I don't know, a graphic, uh, uh, putting uh, pictures on the website, making social media posts and everything. It's not like that. Actually, we need to understand that the whole digital landscape that exists today is such a complex thing and it's much more complex than the media landscape that, that, we, that, that we used to have 10 years ago, for example. And still for the media landscape 10 years ago, we had some different specialization specializations in, in place. Yeah, we used to have, I don't know, a creative a media, some other persons in, you know, the marketing function, for example, agencies that work for that. But nowadays, this is the paradox that the, the area is much more complex, but the tendency is to reduce the number and the quality of people working in that. <laughs> and it, it it's in the end it doesn't work it doesn't work because you can't have a person you might call him or her doesn't matter digital specialist digital whatever but you can't have one person doing and knowing it all this person doesn't exist you need to build basically an ecosystem of resources made by people uh you know budget somehow and other resources technical resources that work and that's not not easy so that's why I, I said that we are in the storming phase we are looking for solutions we are all desperate to find the best ways but we are not in the norming phase because we still don't know what's the best recipe how to do things and it, it's definitely you know different from business to business from company to company depending on each specific I don't know if I answered to your question but this is how I see this uh, yeah. this landscape today yes absolutely and this issue is not only an issue in europe we are working with multiple brands worldwide and we see that there is a fake expectation towards digital so people think that digital is easy and it's meaning it will require less people less money less investment but it's not true digital is more complex in its way and it will get even more complex in the future. What's easy in digital is the end result because with digital you can be more user-friendly, more customer-friendly. But for you as a company, for you as a brand, digital is not an easy topic. Digital is a very heavy topic which you have to investigate both technology-wise, so as you just said, connecting your systems and making sure your data is connected and your data is meaningful, not just having the data for the sake of having data, but to have something that you can build on. 
and the next steps in marketing are towards digital data-driven marketing meaning you have your ERP you have your CRM you have all your online setup you collect all the data and based on this data you optimize your activities you define your next strategies and you have a continuous let's say live feedback about your marketing and that's an ideal scenario where all your systems and the way your teams in your marketing departments are working together to define something that's happening on the market based on the market data inputs because that's what really is the power of digital that you can have an input and you can have a digital footprint of what's happening outside in the audience and you can learn from that a real time uh, feedback yeah 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 so so you agree that uh, there are not so many companies that um, yeah achieve that uh, that level of um, putting things in place right true i think even the top brands are now facing this challenge and they are working hard and investing heavily in, in digital and i would put a parallel here i think it's something like traditional cars versus electric cars traditional mm -hmm. marketing versus digital marketing uh it's coming um people are aware of it but they don't know how to use it uh, the infra infrastructure is maybe not appropriately normalized to it but if you are not doing it then you will be uh, leaving out something important and your competition will get miles away ahead and you will not be able to catch them easily true so so nice example yeah thank you <laughs> i also yeah good um yeah we've started from uh, a marketing journey and ended up in digital marketing and electric cars so yeah i i think but that's we about are... marketing marketing is everywhere you can't yeah. ignore it yeah <laughs> yeah i i think this correlates really strongly that marketing is about lifelong learning so it's not something you learn at the university and then you are an expert and you do it five years and then you're a senior expert because the ecosystem of marketing is changing in every year and uh, digital is putting even more innovation to it. So if you stop learning, you will be left behind. So true. Yeah. Maybe from this perspective, I think it's one of the ch most challenging areas. You just can't afford to stop learning. So it's... Uh... Yes, truly. I think whoever wants to be a good marketer has to have this passion for learning because this is not a stable thing. You need to adapt to be agile and to be open-minded for new things. Otherwise, you will not be successful. Time is getting by and we are closing to running out of it. But just a final question, because we talked about success and about the good things, but I'm the guy who really likes to tell also the shady parts and the heavy investment behind uh, and all the struggles you as a marketer can face. So maybe can you tell us an example what was a failure or a setback in your marketing activity that was really hard to work on and how did you get out of it how did you see the light at the end of the tunnel 
Oh, yes. <laughs> there were many, many situations like that. Um, the thing for our audience, I would choose one which somehow tends to, to become a pattern also for me, you know, in the past. Um, yeah, simply because I am, um, uh, you know, pretty uh, ambitious and I want to, and perfectionist in a way that I want to do things, uh, you know, in a good way, in a professionist, uh, professional way. Um, and sometimes I might push my teams, for example. And uh, one of my failures in the past was when um, I pushed my team so much in a moment when they were not ready for that. So, and there was about my own patience in growing people. Um, you know, sometimes things in our mind when it's about people are not happening that fast as, for example, it happens in technology technology, internet, information, all these things are moving quickly. People mind is somehow or a, a, a bit more slower. So when you want to grow a, a team or, uh, you know, to help a person to develop, although that person might have huge potential and it's there, you need to be patient. And this is one of the, my, uh, my, uh, my big failures in the past. And also I uh, found myself again on the edge of a similar situation recently. When I pushed my team uh, a little bit beyond their, uh, you know, their limits, uh, and somehow I, I asked them to grow faster than it, it was possible, you know? Maybe this is not the example of, again, that you, you would expect. But for me, I think in marketing, it's extremely important to have a great team, you know, to base on a team to, to not just be, I don't believe in solo players, you know. So, and it's important to have the patience and the, um, to, to allocate the time to grow that team in the right direction, to help them, to support them, to supervise, to help, to help them, you know, uh, get their own wings. And then you can maybe, you know, step one, uh, step a little bit back and they can act in, independently. And it's not for everybody that understands that. I also uh, see sometimes entrepreneurs or, you know, different person that they are expecting so much from their teams. Yeah, but they should do that, they say. Or, you know, I hired uh, him or her for this uh, social digital whatever position and he or she doesn't deliver. But many times there, this, you know, manager's expectations are so artificial. They don't know the field. They don't know the work itself. They don't know the time and the, the effort, the, 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 you know, the, the resources that are truly needed in that, that position. And then people get burned. They get burned and they don't deliver and they don't perform and they get demotivated and so on. So maybe that's one thing that I, I would recommend, you know, and especially in marketing when it's not only this technology and the digital field that is, uh, is growing quickly, but it's also the overall pressure that we should deliver based on this speed. Yeah. And yeah, people are still people and the human nature is still there. So you need to, to take things a, a little bit uh, slower. Yeah, I, I think uh, <coughs> yeah. it's a really good example that... Growing uh, people takes time, like you grow children, you know? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. 
you can't you know you, you can't speed growing a baby just because the technology is faster today you just can't <laughs> you know he still True. needs to to sleep that, that that amount of hours to to eat that uh, amount of food and you know all these things it's it's it, you just need to think about yourself as a person and then also put yourself into your team shoes yeah <laughs> mm -hmm. it's a very good example if we take in consideration the smartphones we have, personally, I think that the opportunity that anybody can call you at any time is not a good thing. Of course, technology-wise is good. Technology helps and makes it possible to call anybody at any time. But I don't think that's a good approach in the perspective of human beings. It's our responsibility as human beings to remain human to keep our sanity and keep our humanness and use the technology for technology and not mix the humankind with technology in terms of okay now I can call you anytime because you have a mobile phone no you can call but the idea is that technology should make our living better and not make our living faster because living fast is not something we should aim for at least that is my personal perspective. Uh, but and I agree so much with you. Thank you for that. <laughs> te technology is good. I'm not against it. I'm uh, an evangelist of digitalization. However, we should know what to use and when to use it and how to use it. Maybe this is the, the first area to say no from time to time, you know? <laughs> Exactly. exactly. <laughs> to have a, you know, a reasonable decision and to say, no, I need a little bit of more time and yeah, everything you've just said. <laughs> Good. Um, as, as we are getting at the end of our time, I would just ask you one last question. What would be one advice to the marketers who are listening this show? Uh, if you had just one main idea and one critical idea for everybody, what would that be? I think I've said it already somewhere in the middle of a discussion, but if I would think back to my uh, journey through these years and if I would need to assess, you know, the, the successful parts of it, let's say, they all have two things in common and the, those are patience and persistence. So be patient, but be persistent. It's what you said also, don't stop, but with a, you know, with a good uh, and solid uh, direction. So, um, yeah, that would be mainly my advice for the marketeers that uh, start nowadays. Don't expect results quickly. Uh, be prepared, be patient, and be persistent. Hmm. In this fast world, I think you have to be strong to be patient and persistent. And I fully agree. So thank you for that. And yeah, on that note, thanks for giving all these valuable inputs. I'm really glad we had this conversation and hope we can continue maybe on the strategic parts on a different recording. Well, thank you for joining us today and have continuous patience and persistence in whatever you do. 
Thank you also for the uh, excellent conversation that we had. Uh, it was it was a pleasure, and definitely uh, when time time comes, we can continue with the other topics. Uh, good luck to all, and uh, yeah, have a nice uh, summer. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. If you want to read more on similar topics, please subscribe at think.cognitivecreators.com to the Cogniverse blog, where I share relevant insights on creating real business value through digital, how artificial intelligence can assist digital marketing, and how business transformations are carried out through revolutionary digital technology. These are all real-life examples, learnings, and insights that matter and can make a difference in your journey towards digital. With that said, I hope you enjoyed this episode and keep being persistent on your marketing activities. Until next time, bye-bye.